one of the things that we did often when I was a kid uh, is we would have friends over on Sunday afternoon after church, and uh, at our house, grew up on a farm, so we had lots of room to play and do crazy stuff, and uh, as some of you that have grown up on a farm, you probably know well, uh, or out in the country, you know well how, just how crazy some of that stuff is, um, but we would oftentimes uh, play football in our front yard. And uh, we'd get a bunch of guys over, girls and guys, and we'd, we would just uh, go all out and not, we didn't have pads or any of that kind of stuff, and we would still, you know, hit each other, whatever. And uh, I, I remember uh, I, I was going out for a pass, and I thought I was wide open, and I actually caught the ball, um, and as soon as I turned, as, I mean, the second I turned, I ran right smack dab into my dad. And, uh, and if you, any of you guys, like, I don't know you don't know my dad, but if you can just imagine like Popeye, but a little bit taller, and uh, he's a farm boy. So, I mean, my dad was tough. Um, he had big old forearms, and it was like hitting a brick wall. I'm not going to lie. I went down like a box of rocks. I mean, it was just, I thought it was over. I thought my life was over. I, I'm not lying. I looked up, and I'm like, am I, am I in heaven? Uh, you know, because... I thought I died, like right there on the spot. And and he's like, no, you're fine. Get up. And I'm like, no, I can't. I don't even think I can feel my legs right now, Dad. Um, like, I mean, it was it was crazy. Like, I, I, I thought, oh, I'm going to make a touchdown. This is going to be great. And wham, that all came to an end. And, uh, and, you know, as I thought about that, I thought about this topic that we're talking about, sting, the sting of death. That that happens, right? We, we're going through life, and things seem to be going well, or maybe even things are going not so well, and then all of a sudden, death creeps in, and the reality of death creeps into our lives, and something happens, and we're confronted with the reality of, of, man, I'm not sure I can keep going on. I'm not sure I even know how to get up. I, I'm not sure that, that, that I, 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 I even know what I can do, and, and we hit a, a wall, a proverbial wall, I hit a physical wall, which my dad, but sometimes we hit that wall and we get knocked down and we're not sure we can get back up. And yet, God's call on our life is not that we would stay down. God's call on our life is that we would live, that we would understand that he's come to give us life and to give it to us more abundantly. Yes, there is an appointment, Hebrews chapter 9 makes that clear, there is an appointment that every single one of us has with death. That's a reality that every single one of us face. And, and the truth that I am going to die is real. That is going to happen. It, it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I don't know when. I don't have any idea how that's going to happen. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know where that's going to happen. I, I've had people that have said to me that, you know, hey, uh, I, I'll see you later, and, and I don't end up seeing them later. Because, again, I don't know when that's going to come. You don't either. And, and the reality is that, yes, I am going to die, but we also need to realize it's not the end. It's not the end. Yes, 
death is something that every single one of us is going to face, but it's not the end. And God's desire is that we would come to understand that as people, as we face death, as we face that wall of death, and we hit it smack dab, that we realize that it's not okay to stay down. God wants us to get up. God wants us to live. And, and his call on our lives is to live. But in light of the sting, in light of the reality of this wall, there is bad news and there is good news. And we've talked about that. That bad news is, is that, that there is a physical death every single one of us will face. There's physical death that, that's around us. We have people in our lives that we've loved, we cared for, that have passed away. And that reality is something that is ever before us. And it's a separation. The Bible makes it clear that physical death is a separation of our soul from our body. And that's a reality that every one of us will face. But there's a second part to that. Romans 6.23 says, for the wages of sin is death. That death is not just physical, but also spiritual. And spiritual death is the separation of our soul from God. And, and you and I, what the Bible makes clear is that because all have sin and all fall short of the glory of God, that, that's not some people, not every single one of us is guilty of sin. And because we're guilty of sin, we cannot be in the presence of God. Because God cannot be, God cannot be in the presence of sin. It's like light and dark. There's no way. If there's light, there is no dark. It's either light or it's dark. And so the reality is that, that what we deserve, what you and I deserve is we deserve spiritual separation from God. We, we deserve that for eternity. And as we talked about, it may not sound fair, it may not sound right, but the reality is that's what the Bible teaches is that, that every single one of us deserve that. And yet, that's not the end. That's really, really bad news that you and I deserve separation from God for eternity. And the place that God calls that is hell. And, and that's what we deserve, but that's not God's desire. That's not what God wants. That's not what God even, even is striving for in our life. God doesn't send us to hell. God's desire is that we would choose life. He's always given us the ability to choose. And so you and I have a choice. Do, do we choose life or do we choose death? Do we choose separation from him or do we ch choose eternal life? And that's the good news. The good news is that, yes, the effects of death cannot be avoided, but hell can. Spiritual death can be avoided. You can come to understand that the way that that happens is through Jesus. It's not through, it's not through baptism. It's not, I don't, don't, if you're sitting here thinking that you're okay because someone's told you you're okay, or because you've been baptized, or because you attend church, or because, name it. If that's what you're depending on, can I just tell you, that doesn't, none of that stuff saves you. None of that stuff guarantees you eternal life with God. There's one thing that guarantees that for you. And that's Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through baptism. No, no, it doesn't say that, does it? 
I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through church attendance. No, it doesn't say that. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except through religious duty. No, it doesn't say that either. What's it say? I am the way, the truth, and life. This is Jesus speaking. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. So either he's a fraud and he's a liar or else he's telling the truth. And you have to be willing to go, what is it I'm going to believe? Jesus is with Martha, and we talked about this last week, John chapter 11, verses 25 to 26. He says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies physically, yet shall he live. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And then he asks her this question that you and I also have to answer. Do you believe this? See, I can't answer that for you. You can't answer that for me. Nobody can answer that for you except you. But God's desire is, is that you'd say, yes, I believe this. And God's desire is, is that just as we read, everyone who lives, eternal life is now. Eternal life is not just someday when we close our eyes here in this life. No, no, eternal life is, is now. Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it to you abundantly now. Yes, he wants you to have eternal life, but eternal life begins the day you say, I die to myself and I want to live for Christ, putting my faith and trust in Jesus as the resurrection and the hope, and I am going to live my life for him, believing that even though I may die physically, I will live. And the beauty of that is eternal life is now. He wants you to live now, not just someday, now. And it's a choice you have to make. And it's also, it's also something that you've got to say, yes, I believe in, and I'm going to trust the Lord in it. That's why we keep bringing up Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Why do we keep bringing that up? Because ultimately, it is about trusting the Lord with your life. Are you willing to trust him with your life? If you are someone that is like, I can't wrap my mind around X, Y, or Z, here's the thing I have, I have to ask you is this. Are you willing to jeopardize? Are you willing to put your eternal life at risk because you just can't wrap your mind around it. D does everybody here understand how a, a car motor like runs, operates? Do, do, you, do, you, do you know how that, because I don't have any idea, other than I put gas in my gas tank and I push the start button and it goes. I can't intellectually wrap my mind around all the different things that have to happen in that engine. That's what it's called, an engine. I don't, I don't, I don't even wrap, I can't intellectually completely wrap my mind around all that. Yet I trust my car that when I go out and I push start or I put the key in and I turn it, it's going to start and get me from A to B. And yet with God, it's like, mm -mm, I, don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. I don't. I don't. I can't wrap my mind around that. I, it just sounds too easy to me. I, I just, nah. I'm gonna trust myself. Nobody does that with a car. 
Oh, I don't trust my car, so I'm just going to ride my bike today. I don't trust my car. I'm going to walk 15 miles to work. Whatever. I'm just saying, who do you trust? Yourself or God? Because ultimately, that's what it comes down to. And, that, and like we've said before, if God is not trustworthy with all, he is not to be trusted at all. Like, like seriously, I, if God is not able to be trusted with everything, then why would you want to trust him at all? So, what's he call us to? He calls us to live. Eternal life is now. So what do, we, what do you want? Do you want to live? Or do you want to stay hitting that wall and not able to get up? Well, if you're wanting to live, I want to, I want to encourage you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Here we go. I hope you're ready. It's going to be fast. And there's a lot here. But first of all, I want to deal with three walls to living. In other words, these walls that keep coming up in our lives that can keep us from really living. Really being able to live eternal life now. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we see these in uh, these first three um, in the first 13 verses. For we know, verse 1, that if this tent, that's our bodies, is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. That's our soul. God has given us an eternal soul that he has, by the way, created. He has, by the way, fashioned. Not, not science, not people. He has. He's the one that knits us together in our mother's womb. He's the one that breathes into our bodies, into our life, uh, eternal life. And so he's the one that gives us that. And, and notice what it says for verse 2. For in this tent, we groan. A- anybody have an issue with groaning in this life? Mumbling, complaining, uh, getting older? You feel it? Yeah, um, I, I think probably for honest, a lot of us do that. But also, it's interesting, groaning here is also used positively in the sense of longing, as it says, longing to put in our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked, for while we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that this mortal may be swallowed up by life. Eternal life. Notice it doesn't say by, by groaning, by murmuring, by complaining. And one of the words that's associated with this idea of groaning, notice what it says, we groan and burdened. One of the words that's associated with that in the original language is the word fear. I think one of the great walls, not of China, one of the great walls in our lives that keeps us from living is fear. This idea of groaning and, and being burdened in life, one of the things that keeps us from being able to truly live is fear. We're so afraid of how we're going to die that we're not really living. 
or we're, we're so busy trying to make sure our bodies are in perfect shape or perfect whatever because we're so afraid to die that we're, we're not really living. I'm going to ask you if you're alive. I'm asking, are you, are you living your life? Are you striving to try to live life out in, in, in every day? I think we're, we are surrounded by a culture that is perpetuating fear. Be scared of everything. Be afraid of, of, of every little disease, virus, whatever. I mean, the reality is I know people who have stayed home this entire last two years and they still got COVID. What, what is what is? The driving force of your life, are you living or are you afraid? God has not called us to be a people of fear. He's called us to live life. Now, that doesn't mean that you just go out and be stupid. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that you go around and just use no common sense. That is not what I'm saying either. But sometimes, what I've seen anyway in the last two years is that so many people are so afraid, they're not really living. And that's not God's calling our life. That, that actually can keep us, and, and, it, and it has, I've seen it over and over again, people actually, that has caused them to, in a, in a very real sense, lose their life. And, and what does it say? That it would be swallowed up by life. And guess what? Verse 5, he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us a spirit as a guarantee. So fear can keep you from living. Number two, judgment. Verse 6, so we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That's pretty obvious, right? If you're if you're alive in your body, you're not with Jesus. But at some point, that's going to, to, to change. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Verse 7, verse 8. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. He is not saying run out and, get, and run in front of a bus so that you can go be with Jesus. That is, that is not what he's saying. That is not God's will for your life. You are not God, so you don't get to be the one to determine whether your life ends or not. God is to be in control. And so he's saying, live for God. Be of good courage, knowing that as you're away from the Lord, you should be living for the Lord. So verse 9, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to what? To please him. To live for God. But then there's this reality, verse 10, judgment. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, which this part is that wall, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. What judgment is he talking about? He's talking about the bima seat of Christ. Bima is the Greek word for throne. There will be a day that you as a follower of Jesus will stand before Jesus Christ at the Bema seat of Christ and every single thing, every work of your life, every good thing, every bad thing, even the Bible says every idle word will be put 
before the throne of God. We'll be out in open. And you will receive judgment based on that. There's all kinds of verses that talk about it's at that moment that we receive a crown from God, which, by the way, we're going to get back to him and lay at the feet of Jesus because it's really not about us. It's about what he's done in us. And the jewels, you hear people talking about, I'll get my jewel in heaven. Well, that's, that's, what we're talk, that's what this is talking about is those things that have been done eternally, you receive reward for. But the thing that keeps people from really living is they're so afraid that they're going to receive all kinds of judgment from Christ. Can I just tell you, Romans 8.1, for now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have no, no need to worry about ever being condemned by God. If you are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation for you. Even in this moment of standing before God, it is not about him judging your bad works. It's about him looking at your life and going, well done, good and faithful servant. And then we get to lay our crowns back at his feet and recognize, you know what, I couldn't have done any of this without you anyway. So here it is. It's back to you. It's not about being afraid that God's going to somehow hold us to account, even though that's not necessarily a bad thing for us to think about, that, man, I really should evaluate what I'm doing in my life. I come back to my dad. That wall that I hit on the football field, in the front yard of our, our lawn, like, he was a, a man that I did not want to mess with. I did not. Like, if you think getting hit on a football field was bad, like, when I got disciplined, eat chihuahua. Like, I did not want to mess with my dad. Why did I not want to mess with my dad? Not because I was afraid of the judgment, even though I, I, there was a real sense of, I do not want to mess with this guy. He will mess me up. But it was because I respected him. I loved him. I cared for him. And I knew that he was disciplining me because he loved me. And the Bible says that about God, that God disciplines those he loves. Why? Because he doesn't want you to ruin or mess up your life. And so he tries to direct your life through discipline. Not for the purpose of judging you, but for the purpose of showing you love. And so... This is not something that's supposed to be a wall. So we have fear, we have judgment. And then third, we have pride. Verse 11. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but we are his, is, or who we are is known to God, and I hope it is known to you as well in your conscience. Verse 12. We are not con- commending ourselves to you again but giving you cause to boast about us. No, we're not doing that, he says. So that you may be able to answer those who look at, here's the pride, who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. Pride. Pride. Another word that's there is glory. Glory, boast, glory. These ideas are 
are actually the idea of putting the spotlight on something. And what he's saying is, is we're not putting the spotlight on ourselves. We're putting it on God. But we're putting it on God so that you can see that there are others who are pursuing prideful things that are not about the heart at all, but about their outward appearance. They're more worried about what everybody else thinks. They're more worried about what others perceive about themselves. They're more worried about how, what others might say about them than they are about their heart, about what God is concerned about, their heart. And, and, and I can tell you just in my own life that, again, going back to my dad, like I, would, I wanted to obey him. I wanted to do what he wanted me to do. But there came a point in my life as a sophomore in high school where I began to think, you know what? I know better than my dad does. <laughs> Y'all laugh because probably you're thinking, oh, you know what? I can identify with that. I know better than what my mom and dad are saying to me. And I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know what? I got to the place where I didn't care anymore what my mom and my dad had to say. And I went out and did my own thing. And, and I'll be honest with you, it was fun for a little while. It was fun for a little while. But it didn't last. And the reality is, is that what I found is that doing my own thing, you know what it didn't lead to me to? It did not lead me to any kind of peace, any kind of hope, or any kind of real life. I was living somebody else's life. Because I was so concerned about what my friends thought about me. So I did whatever they did because that way I would be accepted by them. And you know where that led? It led nowhere good. And I began to realize, huh, my mom and dad know more than I do. My mom and dad, they discipline me because they love me. And then that began to translate into wow, maybe I should listen to God. Maybe I should do what God wants me to do because, you know what, he loves me and wants the best for me. Listen, I, I know that there are some of y'all here today that don't want to be here. You know why I know that? Because I was one of you. Seriously. My mom and dad, they made me go to church. And I'm just going to say this quick, and, and this is not um, me being, uh, how do I want to say this? Um, this is not me talking out of both sides of my face. This is not me being um, two, two-faced. Those of you parents, can I just say to you, keep making your kids come, because you're not accountable to your kids, you're accountable to God. Let me just say that. All right, I'll leave that there. I went because I had to. There are some of you that are here today because you have to. Whether it's your spouse that's making you come or whether it's your, your parents that are making you come, whatever. I, I got confronted with this reality because part of why I pride, part of why I didn't want to do what my mom and dad wanted me to do was because that's what they did, and I didn't want to do that. 
And so I was going to do whatever I could to live in direct opposite of what they wanted because that's what they wanted. That's not what I wanted. And I didn't want what they wanted, so I was going to do what I wanted. Y'all catch that? Okay, good. Um, And so I came to realize, someone asked me something. They said this. They said, is, let me ask you a question. Is it really worth it, this attitude that you have against your parents? You're saying to me that what you're willing to do is give up being in the presence of God for eternity because you don't want to obey your mom and dad. Is it really worth it? It is, don't, don't go, Jay, because of your parents. Don't, don't go because they're the ones that want you to, you go because it's what you know is right to do. You, you turn your life over to Jesus because it's the right thing to do. Not because somebody else wants you to do it, but because you know in your heart it's the thing that you need. And that, that hit me upside my head so hard that as I began that freshman year in college, I began to realize by looking at other people's lives, I am missing what they have. And what they had was a relationship with Jesus, where they loved Jesus, not because they had to, not because they were being coerced into it, not because they were somehow being manipulated to follow Jesus. They just wanted to love Jesus. And and I realized That's missing in my life, and I need to love Jesus because verse 14 makes it clear, the love of Christ compels me, doesn't coerce me, doesn't manipulate me. The love of Christ compels me. Why? Because he died for me. Verse, and look at verse 15. He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What, what is it that I need to do in order to get up? Well, it's not fear, it's not judgment, it's not pride. The greatest motive that I can find in my life is simply this, Jesus. Why should I live for God? Jesus. I mean, it, it is the Sunday school answer. Jesus is the Sunday school answer, but it's, it is the reality that, you know what, the reason that I want to serve him, the reason that I want to give my life for him, the reason that I do what I do is, is not because of anybody else. It's because of Jesus and what he has done for me. And I just want to demonstrate back to him a small portion of love that he has shown toward me. And I just want to say, Jesus, here's my life. Here's my wallet. Here's everything about me. I give my life to you, not out of religious duty, not out of somebody because somebody else is telling me I need to do it. I want to do it because Jesus Christ gave his life and died on a cross for me, and he rose again so that I can have life. Is it really worth rebelling against everything when, when, when you know what? Yeah, maybe your parents didn't do it the right way. Maybe that person that's brought you to church didn't approach you the right way. Can I just say, they're a human being. If you're expecting them to do it perfectly, you're the one messed up. Because how in the world could they ever do it perfectly? <laughs> they can't. They're human beings. So, so wait, so you're going to hold against them your eternal life. Guess what? Just like you said about baptism, about 
church tenants and religious whatever and all that stuff, that's going to be the ticket to get you into heaven. You're going to seriously let your resentment toward whatever keep you from spending eternity with God. God's desire is that you get up. God's desire is that you live. And he gives us the one motivation of all that is the greatest, and that is Jesus. And then he backs it up, and he says, and if you look at verses 16 through, and I'm not going to read the rest of it just because of time, you can read, and hopefully you will. Verses 16 through 20 talk about the fact that the second, or the next best motive is other people. Not for the purpose of, of somehow... Um, Pleasing other people? That's not what it says. It says, behold, the, you are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And you are given this ministry of reconciliation. In other words, what is reconciliation? It means to be made whole, to bring the pieces back together and make it whole. You've been given this ministry of reconciliation to other people so that they can put their faith and trust in Jesus and be reconciled to God themselves. You're an ambassador of Christ. And so the, the, the next best motive is I want to live for Jesus because I want others to see Jesus in me and put their faith and trust just like I did in those folks that I saw in college that were living for Jesus, not because they had to, not because they were being forced to, not because they were being manipulated into do it. They just wanted to love Jesus. And I get to be a part of showing other people that. Sweet. Put me in, coach. I'm ready. Am I going to do it perfectly? <laughs> That's hilarious. No. No, I'm not. Not a chance. Not going to happen. But I'm going to strive to do what I can to love Jesus and live for him. Because what else is there? All this other stuff? If we can just get that right, love Jesus, the rest will fall in line. And can I just tell you, here's a real simple way. You're like, mm, I need to remember this. How can I remember it? Here, here's a real easy way. Love God, love people, and do something about it. Where, where have I heard that before? Oh, wait, it's on the walls. Look there. It really is that simple. The hard part is doing it. Galatians 2.20, I leave you with this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And here it is. The life I now live. Are you? I'm not asking you, are you alive? I'm asking you, are you living are you living? The life I now live in this body, in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I asked you earlier to ask God to speak to your heart. What is it he's, is he saying? What is it that he's speaking into your life? And would you be willing to share that with someone? If you need some practice, my number is up on the wall. I encourage you to call or text, whatever. <clears throat>
Are you going to put into practice what it is that he's speaking? If you would, just close your eyes, bow your head. I don't know your heart. I don't know your life, and I don't need to. It's not for me to judge. I'm not your judge. I can't possibly. But God knows your heart. And my friend, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, that's the first step is you need to put your faith and trust in Jesus. Not not in anything else, not in anyone else, Jesus. That's it. If you've never done that, then my friend, I want to encourage you right now, right here, do it. You're like, how? Can I just say it's as easy as ABC? A, acknowledge that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. B, believe that Jesus is that Savior who paid the penalty for your sin and rose again to give you life. C, confess it with your mouth. In other words, agree with God. God, I agree with you. I confess. I'm telling you, God, I'm a sinner. I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus is the Savior. I want to be in relationship with you. There's no magic words. There's no set way that you need to say it. I'm just saying to you, those are some really easy ways to remember it. A, B, C. Acknowledge, believe, confess. And start that relationship with Jesus. If you know him, are you living for him? Are you living for him? Father, thank you that you know our hearts. You know the truth about each one of us. Lord, help us to be honest with ourselves, with you, and let you work. God, you're good. Thanks for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand. Let's sing this last song. Sing it as a prayer. Sing it as a proclamation, whatever. Let's sing it unto the Lord.